This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Prodigy episode 16, appropriately called Preludes, and you'll see why. But we're going to start with the news as we always do, and we have, I wouldn't call this movie news because it's not about what's happening, but it's about what didn't happen and why, thanks to a new interview with Chris Hemsworth. So if you guys remember a few weeks ago, we learned a little bit more about what was the plan A after Beyond was bring Chris Hemsworth back because he's Thor. And that project reportedly fizzled out because of salary negotiations, which I believe is true. But Chris Hemsworth likes, you know, was interviewed and he doesn't talk about the money side. He indicates that he just didn't like the sound of the story, really. And he was hoping that they would keep going to refine it. And then it just fizzled out. Yeah, everyone got busy, he says, and that was it. And then he was sort of reflecting on the whole idea of the, you know, Kirk father and son teaming up and thought that it would be weird now to flash back and wonder why he's so much older than when he died. <laughs> you know, but he, he kind of it depends on how much you care about these things, you know, because I, I just went through watching all of Better Call Saul which is a prequel to Breaking Bad, but everyone's actually older, older. You, know, <laughs> you know, but we kind of just don't worry about that, you know? And so I think, you know, you can get a little too nutty about these things, but yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that would be the biggest problem with that story. Yeah. But, and he said he's open to the idea of returning anyway. And I mean, which he said before in an older interview, too, where he was like, hey, if I got the call, I'd probably be into it. So, you know, it's just those those are the details. <laughs> but it's interesting to know that he he felt like the story wasn't where it needed to be. It doesn't surprise me. I would like to read that script. That's one I haven't read yet. So, no, oh, yeah. no kidding. That and the Tarantino script I'd love to read. <laughs> yeah, that thing's good. That I'm sure that thing is just totally wild. Let's move on to some Star Trek Picard. Sure. There was a new interview with our friend, our frequent friend, Terry Metalis, um, in the new Den of Geek magazine, who says he actually would have called, I guess, the season Star Trek Legacy, which is interesting. Yeah, I think he's trying to get the message out, which he says in the interview, that this isn't just about the next generation people coming back, even though it is. It's about a larger universe of Star Trek, and he wants it all to be connected, and he specifically said it's a continuation of Voyager and Deep Space Nine, which should excite fans of those shows. You know, I don't think that there's going to be picking up on a lot of Voyager. I mean, besides Jerry as Seven, some people were thinking this is Janeway confirmed. I, I, I still don't think that's happening. They also, I've seen a lot of people saying that we're going to see, you know, Harry Kim as a captain. <laughs> Which I also don't think is likely to happen. That's just too... Cute? I don't know. It could. I mean, knowing Terry, I mean, Terry did work on Voyager. I could see him really wanting to do that, actually, um, even though it is too cute. It would be even cuter if Harry was still an ensign on someone else's ship. Oh, poor Harry. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't I think would, I would, would be thrilled it. to see it myself just because he deserves it and it would be fun. And you know how yeah. I feel about those guys. But I think that would be at best a Voyager cameo. I think the actual continuation of a story is going to come much more from Worf. 
and his apparently his story is all tied into the Dominion War, right? And obviously, Warp was you know in Deep Space Nine. So I think Deep Space Nine fans, but I'm sure there's going to be some Voyager actor or guest actor show up, and some Deep Space Nine actor is going to show up. Yeah, and and most of all, Picard has felt very separate in a lot of ways from everything that's going on in the Star Trek world. And so I think this is a way of, of bringing everything back together. The, the, the same interview in the magazine, we didn't really get into this much in our re- report on this. Gates McFadden and Jonathan Frakes were also interviewed. It's mostly kind of stuff we've heard before. They just love Terry conflict with Riker. Dr. Crusher starts the season. Gates loved that. Did you pick up on anything new from that? The thing I just loved was that Gates said, when she was talking about Nemesis, she said, what a world of difference. I felt all the characters were so honored in this season of Picard. So, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that because especially, we've talked about this before, that women in, in Nemesis really got nothing. Yeah, yeah. Or nothing good. I mean, either terribleness or nothing. So I'm happy that that they're getting a chance to come back. I'm very excited to see it. Not just Nemesis, all the movies. All the movies are basically Data, Picard, and the villain with, you know, a little bit of everybody else. First Contact, I guess, is probably the best at using the ensemble, I would say. Yeah. I mean, people got moments, at least. I mean, that's when Troy Troy got really fun. She got some great scenes in that movie. And uh, Dr. Crusher got to meet uh, the holographic doctor. <laughs> yes. Picardo. Yeah. Picardo would be fun. Seeing the holographic doctor might be fun. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, we got a lot of things that we think are fun that probably aren't going to happen. But who knows? We might be surprised. You know, when he says Star Trek Legacy, like part of me thinks that's the name of his TV show. You know, the TV show we keep on talking about that he wants to make. <laughs> right. Maybe that's the name of the show, really. You know, because he's saying that's what the season's kind of like, but he couldn't call it that. But if he gets his shot and he gets the spinoff, I think Star Trek Legacy sounds like the name of a show. And it, because it, it, I think that's what he wants to do. It's not really, it's not going to be about Janeway or Seven or any one person. It's going to be about the legacy, you know, and continuing the legacy. And it's better than the next, next generation, which is really. Not a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We've got a little bit of Discovery news uh, to catch up on. Last week was our Thanksgiving episode, so we didn't cover any news. But the weekend before Thanksgiving, season five of Discovery wrapped production in Toronto. Took them about five and a half months to do it. Just a pretty good clip in the COVID era. There's 10 episodes. Sources say, you know, they finished up with a two-part finale. The last week was all done on the AR wall with both Frakes and Tunde. Frakes shot the first part, Tunde shot the second part. And apparently, you know, we haven't heard about a pickup for season six, but, you know, I haven't heard anything about how this thing looks like it's wrapping up with season five. So it's certainly, at bare minimum, built to continue. I think they're operating under the assumption that they'll be continuing for sure. Yeah. You know, assuming they announce another live action show or in conjunction with the live action show, I think giving them a sixth and final season would be a great way to just say, let's wrap this thing up and then let's launch show X, whatever that is, you know, maybe the Academy show, which will include some of these characters because we expect the Academy show to be 
32nd century. Yeah, no, and the most important thing is that they they get to wrap it up on their terms, which means knowing when they're going to end. Yeah, always give the writers the chance to write their own ending, I think is great. Uh, just a little uh, other discovery news is a reminder that December 6th, Tuesday, is the season four Blu-ray. We'll have a big uh, review of that, as we always do. And as we ha- have been doing lately, we're going to be giving away some copies. So come to Trek Movie on Friday the 2nd. There'll be some kind of article up with maybe a video or a clip or something. And you know it'll tell you how you can get your free copy. Do we have any to give away on the podcast too or no? I think we're just going to do one giveaway. So podcast listeners, site visitors, everyone just go to that article. Okay. Let's move on to talk about Prodigy, but we're not going to get to a review yet because hot off the presses, you got an interview with the delightful Ronnie Cox, uh, Admiral Jellicoe. Yes, indeed. He was a delight to talk to. He was He's not a hard ass at all. <laughs> Even though he loves playing hard asses, because he says they get to paint with the entire palette as opposed to the good guys who only get three colors, which I thought was an interesting way to yeah. frame it. No real spoilers, but what I love is he get he gets the Jellico memes. He's up on the controversy. He knows people love him and hate him. He loves it. He's like, bring it. He enjoys all the talk. My favorite was his description of Jellico was was basically because you asked him about like the people who are anti Jellico, and he said, "Look, all they have to do is do what Jellico says to do, and things will be fine." And then he even said it again at the end. He said, "If people just paid attention to him and did what he said, everything would be fine." <laughs> and I'm like, "That is Jellico in a nutshell." Yeah. If you do what he says, you're good, and if you don't do what he says, you're bad. <laughs> he admitted Jellico's a bit of an authoritarian, but he doesn't see him as a bad guy. And we did start talking about Chain of Command, and he you know, remembers the details and stuff I even forgot. And he talked about how Jellic, that, which is true, that the, the show didn't have conflict. And so that I think that's why people have an issue. We just weren't used to conflict on the show. And he comes in hard and, you know, gets into conflict with Riker. That's the kind of stuff they should have been doing with Riker and Picard from season one. Right. That isn't my objection, but I don't think that's the reason, actually. But I do think it's a legitimate point. At your suggestion, I brought up the thing that Marina likes to talk about, which he started, he got her to wear a uniform for the first time. And yeah, he remembered that. And he said, yeah, that's what Marina wanted. And as a result, she got to do, her character got to do more interesting things. And then the other thing he brought up that made me laugh was he said, Patrick Stewart never liked that there was a fish in Picard's ready room, because he thought, you know, why would we have a trapped pet animal in a glass thing? And so he, so getting, but he said they loved, you know, filming around it. And so he got rid of the fish and he said that he kind of like took care of the big problems on next generation. Conflict check, Troy check, fish check. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty good for two weeks of work. Yeah. Anyway, check out the interview. He didn't know about Lower Decks. because I was, I was hoping he might, um, but he did find it funny that Jellicoe banned the uh, Zebulon sisters from singing. And he said, yes, Jellicoe doesn't like music, which he pointed out as ironic because Ronnie Cox is a musician. He's a folk musician. He 
Yeah, he's got a bunch of albums out. He's toured. I'll, you know, he's he's the real deal. But not Jellico. No, he's very Angelico, basically. But he yeah. likes Jellico, which I think is interesting. Yeah. So anyway, he, play, he does play a lot of bad guys. And he in every interview I've ever read with him, he just and listening to yours. He just sounds like a sweetheart. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He laughs a lot. Um, yeah. He laughed when you told him that you were that you run a very nerdy Star Trek site. Right. Well, I like that. You know, when I'm interviewing some people and I look at my questions and I go, these are pretty fucking nerdy. Um, <laughs> I, and sometimes, you know, if I'm if I'm interviewing someone like Terry, you know, it's no big deal. But I've never met Ronnie Cox. And I, I like to warn them a little pre nerd warning. And he has a huge career, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So. Are you ready to review the newest Prodigy episode? Yes, let's prelude. Preludes. <laughs> I want to start with something that I saw Aaron Waltke said on Mastodon. You know, all these new exciting places to post. When you in. say something on Mastodon, is it like a, a hoot? What do you call it? Oh, a, a toot. I think a it's toot. a toot. I think it's a toot, <laughs> which my grandmother used. That was a fart for my grandmother. <laughs> tooting was farting anyway you didn't fart he said something but he described the episode as a tone poem episode which i thought was interesting wording well it very much is i mean we've talked in the last few weeks about how things are ramping up and last week how there was almost too much action too much plot not enough given to the characters and we know there's a two-part finale so yeah the, i think they put the brakes on and slowed things down to pause and reflect and have a little think and, and do a little character development and backstory and turn on that exposition spigot in a big way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and yet I thought like the, you know, I was complaining last week saying sometimes discovery slows things down too much for these moments, but I thought this approach, I mean, first of all, calling it preludes was helpful, but I thought this approach really worked. Like I thought it fit with like the theme of everything that's going on on the show right now anyway, which is we know everything's about to really heat up. And so they took a moment to step back to sort of figure out what everybody's feeling about everything, get into some backstories and see more about who everybody is at the same time that Vice Admiral Janeway is also trying to figure out who these kids are. You know, we've been talking about this for weeks. I'm very happy that we didn't have another week of kind of sitcom hijinks of Janeway being fooled or distracted or not. She's getting it finally, you know, yeah. that there's something going on here and she's learning more about the kids and that, you know, they're not criminals. Um, she doesn't have all the facts, but uh, it's pretty clear she's going to have them very soon well and she's a impressed by them because she's like wow they got away from the tal shiar and they got away from us and she now has compassion for them because she understands that they were kidnapped and sold yeah they're slaves not criminals right i forget her exact wording but it's basically that yeah i think we're kind of at that pivot point six episodes in and since you know, I'm glad they didn't wait until episode eight for her to finally for the light bulb to go off. No, the pacing of all of that, I think, has been great. I did. Did you did you zoom in on their mug shots, which I thought were very funny because 
all their mugshots are very serious. They all, even rock like they all look so grim, except Murph, who's got this great big smile on his face. It also ties in to, you know, because that we saw when the Diviner issued the bounty for them. Right. It's all tying together. I guess, I mean, I, I liked this episode, but part of me feels like there was just too much of a data dump going on in that. They're like, well, now that we've told you Dal's backstory, here's everyone else's. Could they not have thrown in zeros organically one week and rocks organically another week? That's maybe what I would have done, but I, I like what they're going for here, which was these, it, you know, the it's like a series of short stories. And if you noticed, it's written by the entire writer's room. Yeah. Which means... Obviously, they split up the stories like, you know, Aaron probably wrote one and, you know, everybody got everybody gets a story to write uh, for this little short story collection. And each one of them had a different feel to it, which I liked. Yeah, what well, had a vibe of sitting around the campfire and, and telling their stories, I thought. Well, but it's more than that. I mean, I think they could have gone further on the anim, changed up the animation. Like the Vaudukant backstory, if you notice, had some different types of visuals. It went yeah two, two dimensional, and I I almost feel like they were dipping their toe into switching up the visuals for each of these stories, but they didn't go far enough. I think they could have you know done this where everybody's story, like you know where maybe you know Rock Talks could have been anime. You know, and they could have done more Looney Tunes stuff with Jacob, you know, to fit the, the their stories more, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it might have taken me out of it more. Like, it made sense for the backstory on The Diviner, but not so much for these. I'll say this, that when the Jankum story, when I was watching it for the first time, my 19-year-old walked into the room at the very beginning of the Jankum sequence stood there mesmerized watched the whole thing and said that is an amazing sequence just that alone is incredible and i was like it's true <laughs> it was so i found them all very effective no they were they were and i thought that one was really funny well it's funny because now also now we know why he constantly refers to himself in the third person Yes. <laughs> so just a curious thing i was surprised that he came out of his pod with his robot arm so that is a pre-existing condition i thought we would might learn how that he got his arm well i have a but there are a bunch of holes still in all of their stories that need to be filled in right, right? this isn't it this sure. isn't it like rock had parents so we we don't know how rock ended up in the situation that she was in at all. Right. These these were their last steps before Tars Lamora. Right. Jankum revealed that he was an orphan because they would put orphans on deep space missions. What? So that's very <laughs> Which sad. Is super cruel, kind yeah. of. And with Zero, I feel like we still haven't gotten into the trauma of being forcibly dragged away from the hive mind and how they were forced to hurt people. And even the whole thing of how they managed to build the body, which was, you know, briefly sort of joked about in the first episode. Right. Um, but there's so much going going on there that I feel like there are a lot more layers to all of these. Oh, sure. That was a very beautiful story. I mean, all of these stories were, of course, sad because they all have sad endings, but they all had you know, a beauty to them as well, I felt, in a, in a way. Yes, yes. Sometimes a tragic beauty, but a beauty. 
you know, like like Jenkins' sacrifice. Yes, and shout! I shout my name, <laughs> and it asks him <laughs> to state his name again. So. And this like weird friendship between the hero and Rock Talk. Except you know. then he sold her. Well, no. See, he, here's as I understand that that the hero was just as much of a slave as she was. There was a Bolian who sold, who was in ah, charge of them, right? And so the hero was stuck in this situation. They were essentially professional wrestlers, and she was the heel, and he yep. was the. What do you call? I'm not enough of a wrestling guy. What is it called? The hero, or what do you does, call the good guy? Oh, the. You think uh, I'm more of a wrestling person? Okay, I'm going to try to pull this out of my butt. I think they call them the face. Someone's going to cur- I'm going to look this up and look like an idiot. So I think it's the, the the heel and the face or something like that. Anyway, but it's the good guy and the bad guy in wrestling. No, that was a that was a fun story, and it was sad that they were torn apart because she turned it into a comedy. Yeah, and the audience didn't like that. They didn't make enough money anymore. No, so that it's the same Kazon, this like jerk Kazon. Yeah. Who we saw in the first episode of the show, like he keeps on showing up, and I'm wondering, are we going to ever find it? Like, who is this guy? Why is he so far from the rest of the Kazon? Well, there were a whole bunch of them who got zero, and they all had Spock's visor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Kazon did steal the Voyager database at one point. Yep. So that's they, where they got, and they spent some time on Voyager with no Voyager crew members there. They watched the original series. Right. So Cuz that's how they, well that's how they got the same kind of box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were there were four in that and the rest of them had just the one, but it's the same one that was in the bar in episode 14 talking to Frex. So this guy gets around is my point. And but yet he doesn't have a name. He's he's in the credits as Kazon number 1. So I'm wondering if we'll ever get to know more about this cuz if you read, if you look at the credits, we actually learn some names. Like we now know the name of Chakotay's first officer, the bird, the bird, right? Which is an Aurelian, Aurelian, right? Yes. I don't remember him saying anything. I mean, maybe in the background, but his name is Adriku. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we did get some good Chakotay this time, right? Yeah, well, we got Chakotay being clever, but so Chakotay is trapped in the future, right? Yes. So let's, I mean, yeah, it was a lot. You really need to slow things down and maybe reverse it because this is the thing where they are just dumping huge amounts of exposition on you all at once. They are, but it also, I thought it would. It, everything had enough time to breathe, really. Like it was packed and it's packed because the show was so short. But this time, I did feel like every moment got to be a full moment. And it all made sense. And and in fact, I, I feel like an idiot last Like we were talking about Dreadnought. And because, of course, you know, Dreadnought in episode 10 had his head cut off. And we're like, how did he come back? And the, the obvious answer is everybody gets a Dreadnought. You get a Dreadnought. I get a Dreadnought. All the Vaudnacott get dreadnoughts. So the coffee table that turned into a dreadnought was her dreadnought. But then how did that dreadnought know what had happened with the Diviner and Zero? Because that dreadnought said, oh, his brain's been scrambled by the Medusin or something like that. I, I don't know. That's a good question. But 
that dreadnought, if you look closely, looks different than his dreadnought. Yeah, different er- colors and everything. And and when you look at you know at her getting back to her backstory, you could see that the planet had many different kinds of dreadnoughts. Yes. With different styles. Everybody got a ship and a dreadnought. Right. And if you think about the ship, there was a clue because the ship was always called the Rev 12, right? Well, it's because his was the 12th. And I mean, you played the game. I don't think you finished it, but there were some hints of this in the game where they found a different dreadnought in the game from a different ship, one of the Revs. Yeah, the as far as I got, they he said he'd been re- found and reassembled, but that there was just one big fight I never got past, so I didn't know what happened after that. Yeah, so the game is kind of a clue towards this. There are many revs, many Vaunicots, and many uh, dreadnoughts, which also um, means we could encounter more. Indeed, and there was one like they kept on showing her and him together. Her name is the the Vindicator. Vindicator, and there was they're a wrestling third... names. They're very much like the Diviner, yeah. the Vindicator. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a third one next to them that always had a mask on, and I felt that was on purpose so that perhaps they can reveal a character in the future. That's this third Vaunicott. We don't know how many made it through because um, they started with the hundred, and you know. But I'm sure this is, you know, that Essencia slash the Vindicator isn't the last, right? Right. Well, they all ended up in different places in different times. Like, he arrived 20 years ago, she arrived three years ago. And she arrived in the Alpha Quadrant. Didn't say, but we can only assume, therefore, let's face it, she must have killed Essencia. They never said it, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, and Ensign would have had unless she is so smart and maybe this is possible she f- created a whole backstory for Essencia and went to Starfleet Academy I, I'm I'm just not buying that yeah I think, I, and I would assume you have to have some records <laughs> somewhere well but maybe so. you could create those but the, you know it's much easier to just find an ensign kill them and yeah because she was she needed to get on the mission on the Dauntless right she chose her for a reason because she wanted to be with, you know, the other person who was obsessed with finding the protostar. Meaning Janeway. Yes. This It's a kid's show. The implication is, you know, she killed a nice, lovely, young, trill girl. You know, maybe she, you know, left her on a planet with plenty of food and water and she's doing just fine. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the chances of that are? <laughs> very, very low. Slim to none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they, they kind of just, you know, they'll never say it so that, you know, because it's just kind of sad to think about. Although it looks like her days as, as fake Essencia are over, right? Well, because, yeah. Well, it's unclear what they're going to do with Janeway. They're not going to kill her. No, after that quick karate chop, that was very original series. Like a quick karate chop just knocks somebody right out. <laughs> well, I'm like, she was like, why did you do that? I think her dreadnought was about to kill Janeway. And he did that to stop that is what I got. Because this gets, remember you were saying maybe he's gone a little soft. Maybe he's gone a little native. I think the karate chop was his way to save Jane. Of protecting her. No, I was just surprised it was so effective. Yes. (laughs) Because he's all weak and whatever. And then he just whacks her one and she's unconscious in a second. But I, I think there's something going on here where 
you know, last week we were saying maybe Sensi is going to be, or now the Vindicator is going to be the main villain. I I think that's possible. Right. Because I think he's he's a little soft on Janeway. He kind of likes Janeway. Well, she rescued him. Yeah, why wouldn't you? She's nice. Although probably part of the reason he thought Starfleet was so nice was because of Asensia. Right, which must be confusing to him now. Yes. But uh, if he thought he was confused before, wait till he starts putting all this together. But I really liked that the style of that backstory. It's like it was is very Russian Revolution propaganda. The way she talked about it. So I'm so part of me feels like maybe she's not a reliable narrator as well. Well, the story he told Gwen does match. But yeah, it's all from this weird point of view of Starfleet being the bad guys. You know, obviously there's context missing. Yes. Well, there it was their own infighting that was the problem. Yeah. And they decided to blame it all on Starfleet. I mean, we now know that it wasn't Chakotay doing first contact. Yeah. The last time they did the a little bit of backstory on this, it was confusing on right. purpose, obviously, because they mentioned the order and the, the going back in time, but it was unclear who went back in time, when and how. And you and I debate, talked about this, I think, with episode 10 of how. And, and then we did an interview with Aaron or, and it still didn't completely make sense. And now it does. So a Prometheus class ship did the first contact. There was, there was a little drawing. Mm-hmm. They're saying that then there was a civil war and Starfleet didn't do anything during the civil war. Right. Which I guess makes, makes sense. Yeah. Why would they get involved? And then, and I mean, they didn't see themselves as the instigator of that, I assume. Yeah. And then Chakotay shows up on accident. Right. Through Which, a wormhole. Yes. Gets spit, gets spit out, <laughs> lands there, and kidnapped. Or whatever, locked up. But then escapes, at least long enough, but not long enough to get on the ship, but long enough to use his pad to send the ship away. With a grin. Right. He, he seemed, seemed happy, happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess he's on Solemn, which is the Vaunicott home world in yep. the future. Yes. With his bird first officer and the rest of them. <laughs> his bird first officer. Yes. <laughs> I know. Was that, is that racist? I'm sorry. I, I, to, to all our avian listeners, I just want to apologize for being racially insensitive so callous his bird first officer i know <laughs> i know exactly i'm gonna i'm gonna get canceled for that by the bird people <laughs> exactly i mean that was the most fulsome story with the most details going on was the this backstory but it was interesting is as she went on he started adding stuff so basically remembers now i think yes he definitely seemed to be remembering you know, and he started remembering how he didn't like Starfleet, but still kind of liked Janeway and the people on the Dauntless. So he's still a little confused by all that, I, I guess. And then we had our three backstories. I mean, Jacob one was my favorite. Yes. No, I agree. It was. It was because it revealed things that we didn't know about him and gave us sort of explained a lot about why he is the way that he is. Whereas rocks sort of reinforce things we already knew. I mean, I like that. That's why she really doesn't like being security, being the tough one. Right. Because of all that. I mean, it was definitely the most surprising. I mean, you could probably guess a lot of Jenkins, whereas rocks was like, 
yeah, she used to be a professional wrestler is definitely was not on my top 10 list of her backstories. <laughs> um, so I give them points for that for sure. Sure. And then I was very, again, the zero one I found intriguing. Well, first of all, because I thought now we're looking at the Medusans and we're not going mad. They just look pretty like little fairies. They look like little dancing fairies, which I thought was nice. And it did when they started by saying, I wasn't always in this containment suit and things used to be so free. And they had this tone of longing in their voice. It just reminded me of Is There in Truth No Beauty is not one of my favorite original series episodes, but it has some great stuff in it. And my favorite thing in it since I was a little kid was Spock when he has Kalos in his body or whatever. And he talks about the loneliness of being human and being trapped inside what a shell of flesh. He said, how lonely you are. And I thought they really did connect the dots to zero with that same feeling. Yes, for sure. If you remember when we started zero used to annoyingly read people's minds. And I think that's just because it's natural for a Medusan to do that. Yeah, they were used to doing that and it wasn't intrusive. And this, you know, and this time when Rock says, why did you read my mind? Zero says, because I care. Yeah. Although I thought when they talked about, you know, things they want to forget, a past you want to forget. I thought that was more before Rock got into the backstory. I thought it was going to be about that time that Rock was lived through all those years alone. And yeah. the time, you know, I thought that was going yeah, to. Totally. I totally thought that because. Yeah. It, that is a very sad story of. You know, they purposefully didn't tell us how long because it's it's kind of like Essentia. They don't want the audience to realize how sad that is. Yeah. Because um, it was probably years, I guess. I think years. Which is tragic. Yep. There was some fun details like in the uh, Medusan one, the Medusan ship. Yep. As I, you know, I mentioned the uh, Prometheus ship and even the Tellarite ship kind of was kind of like the Tellarite ships we saw on Enterprise. Not exactly because it's a sleeper ship, but that makes sense. So it all fits. The show definitely is good on that kind of stuff. So after they finish telling all their stories, now the ship is ready to go. And that's, you know, it is called Preludes, which means it's the next episode where everything really gets going. Although talk about a cliffhanger. That was the most cliffhangery cliffhanger, in my opinion. That we've had yet, <laughs> which was knocking Janeway out. But now it's, you know, that was our little breather. And now we're getting ready to jump into crazy action again. Everything's about to pick up. Yeah, I guess they're just going to proto jump out of the. Yep. But, I guess, but the ships have to somehow come together. So, I mean, they could just leave it with because there's no way. The Dauntless can catch them even with the slipstream because they've basically got the fastest ship ever. So, well, maybe they'll get a little ahead of them and then they'll catch up. I mean, there's we need more sort of Jellicoe Janeway confrontations and conflict. So we got to leave some room for that. That assumes Janeway, Admiral Janeway's ever. She's in a, you know, what did they do with it? I mean, what's the last thing we see? She just collapses, right? Yep. So she's unconscious she's... on the floor. Yeah, I know. I was wondering if the Vindicator, you know, she has that thing that that doll oh, had. 
Oh, right? I know where you're going with and this. so could she pre- could she be Janeway? That can makes she- Yeah, why not? If she could just press that button and change, then could she be Janeway? Because she it is fu- future tech. Yeah, that makes sense. Because people will notice when the Admiral isn't around on a right. ship. You know? You'd think. Especially if the protostar makes a break for it, they're going to like say, call her up to the bridge. And right before she went there, she had said, uh, do research on the Diviner and get the information to me as soon as you get it, which means they're going to be contacting her shortly. Someone's going to be trying to reach her. Right, because there's got to be some information about the Diviner. He was, you know, he ran a huge mining operation for... Yep. A couple decades, slave labor. People heard of this guy. Yeah. People knew to bring people to him. So, and he put the bounty out, which was Tysus's smart idea, which was find out who put the bounty out. That's the information that you need. Tysus is very Vulcan, by the way. Don't yeah, I noticed that. I mean, I like the character. Me too. Um, But. And Dorians usually have a little more passion. Yeah, he's not very shranny. He's definitely no. more spocky. Yep. But I like it. David Diggs is a good actor. You know, I like that he's a, he's a strong character who can go toe to toe with Janeway. And I expect there to be, you know, more with him. Well, next week, he's going to be in command until fake Janeway shows up. Who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that would be kind of fun. See if he can figure that out. I mean, maybe th- that Kazon. I, I want to see Janeway have to deal with the Kazon. She'd be like, "Oh God, these guys again!" I thought I had put you behind me. Yeah, you guys were. Bo- you guys didn't work the first time. I mean, that's why I'm not that interested in who that Kazon guy is, because I'm like, the Kazon didn't work. They just didn't end up being that interesting. Yeah, and they're not going to invest the time and energy to quark the Kazon. You know, to do what yeah. Herman Shimmerman did on DS9, which is, you know, bring them back in a good way. I think. Maybe there's a reason why he is listed as Kazon number one, because that's about as interesting as he's going to get. Yeah, I did. I mean, my favorite character in this episode, guest character, is Boxy. <laughs> I love the name Boxy. Yeah. Boxy was funny. So that's basically it. We're now ready for the big, big stuff for the final four episodes of the season. Uh, we don't do predictions. or You don't do predictions. Well, I did uh, one already. You did. That's true. You did. So, um, and I like it. I'm going to go with that one. I think that I think she's going to go full on fake Jane way, but I think her Andorian first officer is going to figure it out. The big question is why wouldn't they then just kill the real Jane way? So they need a reason not to kill her if they're replacing her. Like there wouldn't be a big reason. Like, let's just lock her in a closet. Seems like not the right well, she must know something, you know, a command code or a whatever. They they need they're gonna need something from her. But I also think that the diviner's gonna protect her because he doesn't want to kill her. Yeah. I like that theory. It's interesting. Whereas I think Essencia you just get the sense that she's on mission and she doesn't care about these puny humans and she'll kill kill every one of them. Which is exactly where he was before he saw Starfleet rescuing him yeah i mean he felt the same way and he was disgusted by anything to do with starfleet because of this legend that they've both been told exactly that's why i liked when i get back to the kind of the propaganda look of that story it's like they're being they're recalling a story in a way but they're i think the animation was telling us 
maybe, you know, this isn't really true. Yes, I agree completely. I also thought that the music was because a lot of these stories didn't have a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So music was very important. The episode, I mean, it, it hit you quickly with the episode. It starts with Chopin number four, which is very sad. Well, it was he had them played at his own funeral. Exactly. Chopin. So. Like that was I mean, I, I was, you know, I was familiar with it, of course, but I started looking up some stuff about it and just that it's like known for its sense of despair and has been used on Star Trek before. Was used Masterpiece in the, Society. Yeah, but it was a really good choice. For sure. And then some, but some of the original music within some of these other stories, they each had their own kind of feel mm-hmm. to them musically. And I'm going to bring it up again, which is why I thought they could have been visually different because they were musically different. They sounded different. The tones were different. They could have been visually different, but I'm, that's the last time I'm going to say it. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I don't necessarily agree, but I get it. All right. Well, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover for this episode? Was the kitty the same cat? I don't think it is, but there was a little blue Cation yeah. kitty. So I think that's a different Cation. Older Cation. Because I think the kitty, the slave kitty, was really young. Okay. Because there was sense. a whole conversation about, I think that Gwen was like, and if you ever bring another one that young, there was like a whole thing about it. But the blue one looked pretty young, too, and was scared of rock and ran away. Yeah. But I think it's a different cat. I I mean, they they just have their own take on Cations. Very different than Tana. Mm -hmm. Very different than the original animated series. So they may all kind of have that very cute, adorable look. (laughs) Yes. An excellent defense mechanism. An entire race of adorable little kittens. (laughs) All right. Does that wrap up our review? Yes. I guess we should just go on to talk of our bits of the week. I really don't have a bit of the week. I would, but I did an article on the site that picks up on some of what we talked about last week that I just want to highlight, which takes a look at this notion of what I'm calling the last prejudice in Star Trek, which was something that was in my interview with Brett Gray. And this idea of is genetic engineering the last prejudice and is Star Trek now take finally kind of addressing this maximalist view of genetic engineering, you know, because we've got number one on Strange New Worlds and now we've got Dow both genetically engineered, you know, Star Trek rules are like, well, that's it. That's it for them. Right. And, you know, they're not going to kick her off the Enterprise and he they're not going to not let him into Starfleet Academy, are they? So I think the franchise may be turning a corner, maybe. Yeah, it's a. I, everyone should go. It's it's a very thorough look at their approach. I think it's well worth reading. I enjoyed reading it. So what's your bit of the week? Mine is uh, the Seventh Rule podcast, which is Sirach Lofton and Ryan Husk and Melissa Longo. Uh, talking about Deep Space Nine. They've been going through all the episodes. They finally made it to the end and they got Iris Stephen Bear on to talk about the finale, which was just great. And you should watch the whole thing. It's on YouTube. We'll put up a link. But there are a few things that I found particularly interesting that he said, which is, you know, he was talking about the, well, he said in the final scene, you know, they had a lot of the crew and former cast members just show up in that final bar scene. And he said that um, Rick Berman refused to do it, that they invited him. 
And what Ira said was he didn't want to be with the little people, which I thought was interesting. He also talked about how when they were going through pulling clips, you know, because they had a lot of flashbacks in that final episode, that he fought really hard to use clips of Jadzia Dax and was told, no, he said the door was slammed in my face multiple times. I guess it was still fresh for Rick. I mean, yeah. it, it didn't end well between him no. and Terry. And uh, it's still raw for her. Yeah, that sounds bad. I'm so, you know, I'm surprised. Cause I remember he said he doesn't like to watch Deep Space Nine. So it sounds like he. Well, he said he hadn't watched it since then. He watched it for this, for the seventh rule. And he hadn't watched it that whole time before. Which makes sense. Yeah. So that was, I thought it was great that he watched it for them. And then the one other thing I thought was so funny was he talked about the tuxedo scene with Odo. And he said, Renee hated that scene. He said he was ripping me a new a-hole about how bad it was. And <laughs> and just thought it was terrible and stupid and he didn't get it and he didn't understand it. And then he went and played it beautifully. And he said that was Renee, that he would be so ornery, ornery and opinionated and get right in your face about whatever was bothering him. And then he would just go do it in the most beautiful way that as a viewer, you would never know that he ever had any issue with it. Anyway, there's a lot more in there that's well worth watching so go watch it i will my favorite show of the franchise and ira may be my favorite writer of the franchise there you go so that's it for another week of all access star trek please come to the site give us comments we need reviews we need comments we're greedy at least i am so come and do that and actually i appreciate it i just want to say a lot of people commented last week thanking us for doing the episode even on thanksgiving so you're welcome and thank you for appreciating it i am genuinely thankful for our listeners and the visitors of trekmovie.com so it was nothing to get up early and chat with my friend Lori. <laughs> all right see you next week goodbye